Hey everybody, welcome back to the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast. Today we're recording a very special episode. We're going to be talking about the 2019 film Alita Battle Angel and its source material, where it came from, its influence, all that good stuff. I have some very exciting guests. I'm joined by two of my favorite people. They are the hosts of the Oh God It Hurts podcast. I have Mr. Game Agent E.T. and Mr. Six Button Samurai himself. JJJ, uh, Alita Battle Angel was a cyberpunk action film based on the manga by Yukito Kishiro. Uh, in Japanese, it was Gunnam. It was directed by Robert Rodriguez, produced by James Cameron and John Lando. Originally, it was an entire James Cameron project. Um, Rosa Salazar stars as a performance capture of Alita, who was Gali in the Japanese version, Cyborg, who awakens in a new body with no memory of her past and sets out to uncover her destiny gentlemen how are you doing tonight doing awesome thank you for having us yeah man it's great to be here i i I love your show i love you like a favorite towel and uh i'm just damn excited to dip into some serious like it's really interesting because of the way the newer film sort of connects to something that's like it's just such an old school anime chestnut, so I'm excited to talk about it. Right on. All right, well, let's get into. Um, we're gonna get into like our, our initial memories of the sort. Like you know, I think the three of us we have a little bit of history. I uh, I was a comic book nerd and a video game nerd. I'm just a nerd. Let's just get that out of the way here. Um, I ran into the English Viz translations in the '90s, which were at the time. Bringing manga to the American comic market for you guys that don't know is different than it is now. It's they're very much translating it better. They're bringing the format over directly. They're keeping the right to left format identical. At this time in the '90s, they were worried that Americans didn't understand shit, and they were <laughs> flipping the images and they were taking the manga and turning them into these little 32-page booklets so they would look like they all their American comic book counterparts, which are a failure in my opinion. But anyway, uh, that's that's what it was. Yeah. And uh, I had bought a few of the manga. I would get them at the comic book store. I would I would find some at Bookman sometimes because I think people would trade comics. That was the only way to read a lot of comics. That shit was expensive, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then later they had the uh, – I kind of gave up on the manga because it was kind of hard to keep up that way. And then later they released the OVA on VHS. And then later DVD, which I have, which is now out of print and kind of worth a fortune. So if you have the Battle Angel OVA on uh, DVDs, hold on to that. <laughs> um, uh, I remember first hearing about James Cameron's like um, – acquisition of the rights in the early 2000s and he even registered like battle angel film and battle angel all these web domains that were under his name and that's when the rumors really started uh and i was excited and this is a, a fun anime which i've always uh liked eddie yeah how about you and i think you and i had a similar origin on this well definitely i was reading the viz comics uh how i discovered it was uh when i started reading manga the translated english manga comics i actually caught on first with uh some of rumiko takahashi's works like uh with ranma one half and my son nikoku so oh, yeah, good stuff. yeah so um 
I think uh, both of you might know this uh, now defunct uh, comic shop called Captain Smithy's down I'm by the one for the homies. Yeah, down by the U of A University of Arizona. Uh, well, unlike a, a, another comic store that was in town, they didn't yell at you when you looked at their comics. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, I saw a Battle Angel next to. Uh, the Rama comics, and I saw, oh, wow, it's from the same company. I want to take a look. And I was hooked from the very beginning, looking at the artwork from Yukito Kishiro, just amazing stuff. I ended up uh, buying issue by issue until that main storyline ended. Uh, there's three story arcs, by the way, for the manga, and it's still going on. I ended up uh, buying the Tonkobon, which is the bigger books that uh, Viz actually translated and started selling as bigger books instead of selling story right. piecemeal by piecemeal. So it'd be like 100 or more pages at a time, which is great. And it's like 10 bucks. Um, I read all the way up to uh, currently it's on a series called Mars Chronicle, which it's not as good as the first and second story arc. Now, I'm going to interrupt you, Eddie, real yeah. quick. Is this Mars Chronicle like a flashback series? Yes. And it goes, okay. it dives really deep into Alita's past. The origins. Yeah. Okay. But in my opinion, it gets too convoluted and it meanders a lot. So I don't like the way it's going because I just want to see current Alita kick some ass. But yeah, uh, finally, I uh, saw the alita battle angel movie when it came out in the japanese theaters in 2019 so that's how much of a fan i am yeah there you go triple j hey Six button samurai <laughs> <laughs> so i you know thinking about something like this really brings me back to the kind of protozoic era of attempting to score anime around town um there was this wonderful video store which god bless still exists today called casa video dude it's like yep. one of the last video stores in the whole country yep. it is and it is propped up by alcohol so that's right bad. i was gonna say it's more of a beer bar but it's still hanging on i've still got an enormous library of great stuff but um that was like really an excellent place to rent um anime cassettes back when they were incredibly expensive insanely expensive i yeah, mean right. people now just have no idea of what it was like to pay like 40 dollars for like a 30 or 40 minutes yeah almost <laughs> as much as a video game yeah crazy i though. mean it was it was really rough and you know like you alluded to earlier, this is a time when they were still kind of figuring out like, all right, how much of this stuff do you really need to preserve? How much of this should you attempt to sort of tweak to please a Western audience? Like, you know, approaches to this kind of thing were all over the map. But when I first got a look at Battle Angel Alita, I was immediately taken with it because it had all of those things that were the things that drew me to the form in the first place. I mean, you had this kind of badass, like always outnumbered, never outgunned sort of heroine. And it had this extremely detailed kind of futuristic style. I mean, you know, it, 
I, when I think of this, I think of also a lot of other things like Dominion Tank Police and Appleseed and stuff of that ilk. Bubblegum Crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that kind of stuff. So I really enjoyed the OVAs. Um, and then when, you know, the James Cameron rumor mill was pretty, like, it was pretty overheated back in the late 90s and early 2000s. I mean, there were long r- rumors about something that he was doing with Spider-Man. And I was an enormous Cameron fan because of the Terminator films and Aliens, of course. Um, so when that rumor began to percolate that he was working on a tra- translate a live-action version of Battle Angel Alita, like, I was genuinely hopeful about it because... Uh, there there's been so many attempts to kind of bring that form into live action and they've done some really strange things with it. But, you know, I knew what James Cameron's sort of standards were visually and I knew how passionate he was about the source material. So it was certainly something that I kept an eye on for a long time. And of course that long time became an even longer time. And then avatar dropped and there was suddenly like, no real news about what was happening with Battle Angel at all. The rumors were that every once, like every few years, he would attempt some sort of test to produce like what he wanted for the main character. And apparently after years and years, like it still wasn't quite where he wanted it to be. And so, you know, enter Robert Rodriguez, you know, also passionate about that form, but, you know, having his own take on it. So, um, I definitely want to wait to get a little deeper into the bits and parts of the movies, but at any rate, like this is definitely one of those things where it's like something I loved about old school anime and then a filmmaker that I was a really big fan of. And then those things coming together in sort of an interesting way, but we'll wait to get heavier into that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's break down the story beats and we can chime in on bits of that. And then we can really break into like, production design the direction little pieces that caught our eye stuff like that Mm -hmm. um so in the film we're just going to talk about the film story we'll if we have anything with the manga slash ova we'll get into that afterwards okay 2563 300 years after earth was devastated by a catastrophic war known as the fall scientist dr dyson ito discovers a disembodied female cyborg with an intact human brain while scavenging for parts in the massive scrapyard of iron city ito attaches a new cyborg body to the brain and names her alita after his deceased daughter i thought that was a cool way to incorporate that alita awakens with no memory of her past quickly befriends hugo a young man who dreams of moving to the wealthy sky city of zalem she also meets dr shiren ito's estranged ex-wife hugo later introduces alita to motorball a rollerball like racing sport played by cyborg gladiators secretly hugo robs cyborgs of their parts for vector owner of the motorball tournament and the de facto ruler of the factory iron city's governing authority uh uh, so right there we get it gets straight up cyberpunk like post-apocalyptic right Mm -hmm. everybody everybody that lives on earth is like in this junk like poverty level um kind of existence and the only entertainment is the motorball sport and it's commonplace that a lot of people have cybernetics, but not everybody. Right. 
Yeah, um, but it's like a badge of honor if you have the cybernetics because that means that you've been through a lot, you fought, you earned your stripes surviving in this yeah. scrapyard. But it seems, yeah, maybe. And it also seems like some of them are like, uh, they have cybernetics due to their job. That too. Uh, at least in the film, they show like guys that are like laborers, some kind of construction type workers. They're doing like work for the factory and the factory like runs everything. And the factory is run by Zalem, which is a city that sits above, right? So yeah. this one floating city is ruling the entire Earth, which is kind of crazy. Do you know why it's called Zalem? Because uh, technically what's above it is another city, I believe, that is explained in the manga, and it's called Jeru. Oh, boy. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> Let's not get into that yet, Eddie. Let's yeah. save that for the, <laughs> okay. the manga discussion. <laughs> Anyways, continue. All right. One night, Alita follows Ito. They are ambushed by a gang of cyborg serial killers led by Grushka. Ito is injured, and Alita instinctively fights. She uses, like, this martial art, which they later identify as Panza Kuntz, a lost combat art for machine bodies. She kills two of the cyborgs and damages Grushka, who retreats. Ito reveals that he is a hunter-warrior, a bounty hunter, hired by the factory. Uh, Grushka goes to Dr. Shirin, who's working for Vector, for help. Despite Alita believing that fighting will help her rediscover her past, Ito discourages her from becoming a hunter-warrior. Later in the movie, she finds a highly advanced cyborg body in a crashed spaceship outside the city. Recognizing the body belonged to a berserker, deadly shock troops of the United Republics of Mars, Erm, from the fall, which was the war 300 years before of which Alita was a member. Ito refuses to install Alita into it. Um, Ito also tells her he does the hunter-warrior stuff to pay for the clinic so he can keep, you know, helping people. Ito, Ito is a healer. He's a cool guy. I thought, and I thought Christopher Waltz did a really good job, like almost beat for beat, mimicking Ito's kind of cadence from the OVA. I don't mm -hmm. know if... Yeah, if, if you felt that, yeah, he did a it, really good job with that character. The, the, no, I liked I, him in the role a lot. Yeah, I think the whole cast in general were perfect fits, uh, especially I, I Alita. You, yeah, Alita looked like a dead ringer. Alita was great. I thought the kid that played Hugo. I watched. I just recently watched the movie twice, and I watched both the uh, on the DVD. It has both the short OVAs, which they should have just spliced into one long movie. But anyway. I really feel like the like you said the Cassie the guy that plays Vector Dead Ringer yeah, <laughs> like the exactly. Vector in the OVA I was like and he manga. looks exactly the same yeah he looks exactly the same my only like if you were to nitpick the casting um, I love Jennifer Conley but her hair's not blonde so she doesn't look exactly like Shirin from the OVA but beggars can't be choosers yeah I mean, it's Jennifer Conley right? and, I mean and not only that that was a character that was only in the OVA. She only in the OVA. Thank you, Eddie. I was like, I was trying to explain it to somebody else I, I, about the film. And, and one of the elements I dig about the film was they, they brought in stuff from the OVA and the manga and then some of James Cameron's own ideas and put yeah. it all together. So, For example, uh, it takes place in Panama, not in Kansas like in the manga. Uh, yeah, hmm. because uh, I think James Cameron explained that it's because it's a more tropical climate, so it'd make a better sense for the uh, atmosphere. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. 
Frustrated, Alita registers herself as a hunter-warrior. At the Kansas bar, which is where all the hunter-warriors hang out, she and Hugo are unable to recruit other hunter-warriors to help her take down Gruishka. Zapan, a cyborg hunter-warrior bully, provokes Alita, and she severely beats him in a fight, triggering a chaotic bar brawl until Ito arrives to intervene. Suddenly, an upgraded Gruishka appears and challenges Alita to a duel, revealing that he has been sent by Zalem's technocrat overlord Nova to destroy her. Despite her combat skills, Alita's body is damaged by Gruishka. That's a great fight scene. Mm -hmm. Before Ito, Hugo, and hunter-warrior Dogmaster McTeague arrive and force Gruishka to retreat, Ito apologizes and transplants Alita into the berserker body. Um, (laughs) I really like... So this is something that they took... like a couple different parts of the manga and the OVA and mixed it together. Like that battle with Garishka in the movie was more like the battle from the manga. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and just a lot of cool. And I love McTeague, the guy with the cyborg dogs. He was awesome. That whole bar scene's really fun. Um, the guy that plays the pan's perfect. Cause he's like a total ass. <laughs> just like yeah, it definitely. And it reflects uh, his attitude in the uh, manga too. Um, and in right. the OVA, he wasn't in the OVA. He was he was there, but but for a very short time. I think he died right. quite early. So yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I just mean his character arc in the OVA is tiny. It's like five minutes, if that. Yeah. I just have to get it out of my system. You keep saying Berserker repeatedly, and I just I I feel like making a clerk's reference. It's just driving me crazy. But but to elaborate on that Berserker body, um. <laughs> in the manga, um, Ido was the one that had the suit, and he found it in right. an excavation. Uh, and he found right. the ship on his own, whereas in the yeah. movie, yeah, uh, Alita went with too. her they friends. It. Yeah, so, but yeah, well, in the movie, and that was one of the beats that James Cameron introduced in the movie. He wanted it to be. He was trying to add a little bit more of a Romeo and Juliet romance kind of thing between Hugo and Alita. And I think that's the whole reason that scene exists in the movie is because Hugo's like, Oh, I'm going to take you to this place outside the city where they have all this like war junk. Maybe you'll remember something. And yeah, you know, I thought that was a neat idea. It doesn't, I love when they make little changes like that to further improve relationships between characters and not like completely change. Uh, I agree. The story or the origin. Totally agree. I thought that was a good, I thought that was a great change. It, it, all right. Oh yeah. So now, Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Having fallen in love with Hugo, Alita enters a motorball tryout race for the prize money to send Hugo to Zalem. Hugo's relationship with Alita leads him to decide to quit his criminal job. He confronts his partner, Tanji, uh, but Zapan appears, kills Tanji, frames Hugo for, for it. Hugo narrowly escapes and calls Alita for help. She abandons the race and finds him just as Zapan does. Um, during that is also she's like at the race and Vector knows who she is and has a, hired a bunch of other, you know, hunter warriors and other dirt bags to try and kill her during the race. That's a that's a really cool part of the film. Yeah, it was pretty awesome to see everyone against her and she still takes them all on. It's pretty right. Pretty. And I also love the fact and this is something that one of the things I can really appreciate about Robert Rodriguez and, and like he did this with the, the two Sin City films is yeah. if he can use direct panels, direct shots, direct action from the the original source material, whether it's the manga or OVA or comic, he will. Yeah. And so a lot of those scenes are straight out of 
the uh, Battle Angel comics. You know what's yeah, ironic? Um, actually, uh, Yukito Kishiro is a fan of Frank Miller. That that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. So, man, that's awesome. All right, so Zapan mortally wounds Hugo, and Doctor Shirin, having changed her mind about working for Vector, offers to help save Hugo by attaching his severed head to Alita's life support system. When Zapan sees through the trick and attempts to stop Alita, um, the uh, what do they call those factory droids? The oh, Deckards. I believe that's what they're called. Uh, I don't know in the movie, but in the manga, no, they're called the big, Deckards. I've, the big juggernaut now have a different name. Oh, Centurions? Movie, I think. Centurions, yeah. Mm. The Centurions oh, get okay. pissed at him, and then Alita cuts Zapan's face, and it's hilarious because he's like, My face! <laughs> <laughs> my beautiful and then she, face! <laughs> what have you done to my takes, face? <laughs> she takes uh, Zapan's Damascus blade, which is another urn. It's an urn-made blade, which syncs up with her body. Um, and that's that's key for the rest of the story there later. Um, Ito transplants Hugo's head onto a cyborg body and tells Alita that Vector's offer to help Hugo reach Zellum was a lie because Ito's from Zellum. And that's Ito had to come down because his daughter got sick and him and Sharin were sort of exiled from Zellum because you have to be perfect in every way to stay there. Um He's certain that citizens of Iron City cannot enter Zalem without becoming a motorball champion. And even then, that may not be true, because we learn something later. Alita storms the factory and confronts Vector, who reveals that Shirin has been harvested for her organs. That seems fucking creepy. And that's straight out of the OVA, but it's almost creepier in the movie, because her yeah. eyes move inside that tank. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was really unsettling. It was and weird. I was like, I Yeah. Um, and uh, in the manga, Vector- they explain, yeah. If you're not from the city of the sky, uh, the sky, you're not getting in. So that yeah, right. So that's the only way to go up is by sending you through those tubes as organs. Because guess what? Uh, Desti Nova, uh, who made a cameo appearance, he's the one that probably is using it because that's what he does in the manga. <laughs> he sends him up there to, to do prolong exp- his life. No experiments to make uh, oh. creatures that are. Kind of like Grishka. Uh, so, so yeah. Vector summons Grishka, but Alita's new nanotech body allows her to easily destroy him. She forces Nova to speak to her through Vector. When Nova threatens to harm her friends, Alita fatally stabs Vector. And then Alita goes home, and Ito tells her that Hugo has fled to climb towards Zalem. This is straight out of the OVA, and I don't know if this scene was in the manga too, Ed. I can't remember how yeah. accurate that is. I know for sure it's direct out of the OVA where Hugo's climbing those tubes to Zalem, and Alita mm-hmm. catches up yeah, to him. Yeah, it's almost similar. Yeah, um, I think uh, Zapan uh, does frame him for the. Uh, well, he you know, stole a lot of spine columns and he got caught. So uh, they right. put a bounty on his head. And then uh, I think uh, another, uh, you know, the, the, in the OVA, the guy with the hat that does. Yeah. Hugo in? I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember his name either, but he's the one that does him in, in the uh, manga as well. And okay. Zapan is the one that kind of sets him up to get framed for. Uh, yeah. A but in this scene, Hugo just wants to go to Zalem. He's convinced 
you know, that's everything. And Alita says, come with me. And he says, okay. And then right as he says that, Nova drops one of those defense rings. Yeah. Shreds Hugo's body. Alita catches him, but she cannot hold him up. That scene's shot for shot right out of the OVA. And manga, I think. And Hugo, yeah. And Hugo says, thank you for saving me. And he falls to his death. And then uh, we cut to uh, an epilogue scene where it shows Alita as a rising superstar in the motorball. Cheered on by the crowd, she pledges vengeance by pointing her now plasma-charged sword yep. that she can charge with her energy towards Zalem, where Nova watches from above, smirking. Who is an uncredited, uh, non-voiced appearance by Edward Norton. Yeah. Uh, Weird. So, yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Who? Um, <laughs> but he's perfect for that role, too, because he looks a lot like Nova, and I can right. imagine if he could uses acting chops to uh kind of show how insane nova is because he's definitely uh alita's biggest adversary and most dangerous so if they make a sequel i would be so excited to watch how he does as nova because yeah he's yeah there there are i guess robert rodriguez uh said that there are that they are pre-producing stuff for a second film and yeah. it was going to depend on how well Boba Fett did. I'm pretty sure that he's probably going to be able to make that. Well, yeah, that then um, the switch over to Disney, right? Because Fox got bought out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Disney bought out 20, 20th century Fox. So, uh, that was the film. And, uh, I felt overall, I really, the first time I saw it, I didn't know what to think. Mm -hmm. The first time I saw it, I was like, I don't know. Like, I loved a lot of it. I love the direction. I think Robert Rodriguez is fantastic for action. He's really, really good at combining CG and live action. Like, it's pretty seamless. You really got to, like, and and the quality is so good now, it's hard to tell. Um, The thing that that threw me off the first time was how they did, how they made Alita have those bigger eyes. Yeah. And it looks like every one of those berserker cyborgs from mars has those big eyes it's not just her because in the other flashback scenes that all of them have that so i get that but it was still weird <laughs> like i was yeah. still yeah the second third fourth time i've watched this movie that doesn't bother me anymore and i've been able to just kind of enjoy the ride and watch the fight scenes and appreciate the choreography the setting the mood the score all those other things what do you um I'm going to hand off the torch to Mr. Game Agent E.T., Eddie. Yeah. Um, so when I first saw the trailer for this movie, me being a, such a big fan, the first thing I thought was, man, this movie's probably going to really suck because of the, the way Alita looks. I just got turned off by it. So, But at the same time, I said, well, I'm a fan, so I got to watch it opening week. And when I watched it, I... I was just, I came in with such low expectations, but I came out super satisfied, surprisingly. Because, I mean, I know the story in and out from the OVA and from the manga. And like you mentioned before, they did so many nice little adjustments to the story to not make it a regurgitated tale, but kind of like a new twist that makes a lot of sense still flows really well and it also explained a lot more about alita's past which the manga doesn't do until much later and the ova didn't do at all so right that's why i was really really 
I really enjoyed it. I, I couldn't recommend it uh, uh, much more than I, I can right now. I, I think it's, for me, a wonderful take on it. But I can understand if you never, if you had never seen the manga or read or uh, or the OVA, you would probably think, oh, man, this is kind of out there. I don't know if I like it. So I think maybe if you had never read the manga or saw the OVA, it might be easier well, to just let the, let the story hit you. Yeah, I think it's a great story. So and they did a great job. Yeah, I think. But awesome. Yeah, that's my take. Mr. Six Button Samurai. Hey there. So, <laughs> you know, I think I still have some of the issues that you had with your first viewing, uh, Optimus. Mm-hmm. The thing is, like, I have an enormous respect for, like, just how hard it is to adapt these not just these stories but to try and capture the visual style of either the anime or the manga like regardless of source material is really really like a tall order and it takes somebody that is like head over heels in love with the material and so i think when you watch this you you absolutely have to res- to come to the conclusion that Robert Rodriguez loves the shit out of this story and really strived to nail it as best he could. I don't know. There's some things that I just think, like, I'm not sure entirely how well they work in bringing them to live action. Um but it may just be the way my own brain works and it may be the way some things look in live action versus the way they look when they're animated or drawn. And I think like part of it in the back of my head, like obviously you and I talked about RoboCop before on a previous episode of retro futurist culture. And there's something really strange to me about some of the physical trauma that a lot of these characters endure and yet they'll get like brand new heads or a brand new part and just like, they're just back into things doing shit that day. You know what I mean? (laughs) And that's like, that's a little bit kind of difficult for me to deal with as a live action thing because like, I'll admit I'm probably very married to the idea, uh, you know, that's, that's more of a retro sci-fi idea where like, if you get something replaced on you in a cybernetic capacity, like that doesn't come like without pain or like, you know, a struggle to sort of, you know, cope with like this lost bit of yourself as Murphy does throughout RoboCop, you know what I mean? But, Just as a <clears throat> side note, if you have the Blu-ray or 4K of Alita, yeah. there's this whole behind the scenes where they talk about adapting the manga to the screen. And they talk to Kishiro, <clears throat> and one of the things he talks about is all these other stories where being a cyborg was like 
a disability or a hard life or it hurt all the time. He intentionally steered away from it. He intentionally wanted it to be a celebration of you kept living and you enjoyed it. And he talks about, he's like, I really wanted to show that you could enjoy, you know, your life moving forward in these new, celebrate the cybernetic body. Okay. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm. So I can, I can see where you're coming from too. Cause that's, that's been, I mean, that, Makes it's more sense of the classic sci-fi suffering theme, right? Well, I mean, but, even yeah. a current medical issue now, if you have to get your leg amputated, I mean, there's phantom pain, there's mm-hmm. discomfort, there's yeah. nobody feels comfortable wearing a prosthetic. Like, it's just, you know, um, so I can totally but, understand what you're but, getting at. But, there, but, but I James, it was really interesting seeing that. James, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. in the manga, when Hugo uh, gets his uh, robotic body, he actually resents it because... He wanted to separate himself from the scrapyard from Iron City. Okay. He wanted to be a part of, uh, of Zalem. So right. that's why he got a little bit insane and tried to climb up the uh, supply tubes. <laughs> the tubes. Leading right. up yeah. to right, Zalem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there okay. you go. That's the no, tragedy. I mean, if anything, like sitting here talking with this, talking about this with you fellas is just going to make me watch this thing again because I'd, I think I definitely need another look at it, and I would like to sort of reevaluate that first sort of yeah. hmm, kind and, of thing about it. Yeah, read the manga if you can, because it explains a lot more that the OVA and the live yeah. action movie doesn't. But to be yeah, honest, let's get into that. that. Yeah, but, let's get into that yeah. in a minute, uh, game agent. Right now, we're going to take a quick break so we can get a update from ruminations radio network about other shows that are coming on to the ruminations radio network podcast group thank you hang tight hey kids it's don shinhan from the cinephile hissy fit one of the podcasts on the ruminations radio network if you've been enjoying this show come listen to will johnson and i fight it out over cinema's best and worst on cinephile hissy fit find us and all the great shows over on ruminationsradionetwork.com And welcome back. Retro Futures Culture, coming back at you. We're talking about Alita Battle Angel, the 2019 film directed by Robert Rodriguez, based on the manga by Yukita Kishiro, and screenplay adaptation originally by James Cameron and edited by Robert Rodriguez. And Game Agent E.T., we were just about to get into some of the stuff that the manga really gets into about being a cyborg and how that relates to the film. Well... Yeah, the uh, manga really expounds uh, uh, further in terms of what happens to Alita and uh, how she ends up in the city of Zalem. And uh, it also talks a lot about Motorball, which, um, to be honest, uh, I was surprised that uh, if you heard that name, Jashigan, that was, he was in the movie for a very short time. He's right. supposed to be motorball champion, but he gets punked pretty hard, pretty quickly in the beginning of the movie, right? So, but um, yeah, the the movie. I mean, of of course, because of time restraints, they can't really explain all the stuff that's going on in Alita's uh, actual story in the manga. But yeah, if you have, t- if you can watch, or I'm sorry, read the manga, uh, there's stuff that you'll see, like in terms of clones you'll see alita clones in the in the story you'll learn more definitely learn more about 
Destinova, who is uh, Alita's eternal rival, but they also have a weird relationship where sometimes they have to work together because uh, Nova is, he's from Zalem, but he's not in good graces with Zalem because of his experiments on humanity. So there's that. And then also um, at the end of the, the movie, the live action movie, they talk about Alita possibly going up to the city mm-hmm. of Zalem. I'm wondering if they're going to bring the Zot tournament, which is the Zenith of Things tournament in the manga, where it's a huge battle tournament. And it's like, a, I believe, four and four or five on five tournament. And people from all over the galaxy and, you know, cyborgs and whatnot, they fight to uh, get... Uh, I forget what was the prize, but definitely you'll get a lot of fame. And yeah, it was an interesting story arc. That's the second story arc from the manga. The third manga uh, uh, series, as I mentioned before, is Mars Chronicle, where they delve really deep into Alita's past. Uh, it uh, Obviously, it starts from the end of the second story arc, but maybe after a couple of stories in, then it really cuts into how Alita was found and who brought her up. And uh, she's with some other person who also learns Panzerkus. And basically, it just follows the story on Alita, like uh, things like, where does she come from? What planet is she from? Who, who is her mother? Things like that. It's just... But as, as I said, it's gotten too convoluted and I'm starting to lose interest. So it's not as fun as the first two story arts. <laughs> that's for sure. Would you, would, Eddie, would you say that's the general consensus of the Japanese like manga readership for that story? Mm. Like, do you think or do you think that a lot of people are still really into it? I couldn't speak for them because I don't know many fans in uh, you know, personally that talk about that series, but I know for a fact that some Japanese series, manga series kind of run way too long. And right. I think, well, and, and I, th- I feel like, I don't know, do they have a, uh, monthly magazine or yeah. is there any kind of like thing that talks about like what's popular with the manga readership? What's like staying? I mean, if it's still going, there's got to be some people still reading it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find uh, any uh, interviews about that recently uh, to talk about how the series is going and what the plan is. Like, what's the is this the end game? Is this the last uh, of the series? Because uh, to be honest, uh, the first story arc, uh, I don't know if you read up to the end for the first story arc, uh, Optimus, but that ended kind of weird for because of the fact that yukito kishiro had some personal I- issues like it, it was either sickness or depression i don't know but he was pressured by his publishers to finish the story so he made a kind of like a half-ass sto- uh ending to the first story arc and then took a break and then years later said you know what this ending sucks i'm gonna retcon it and that's when last order was made that's the uh second story arc that shows uh, how Alita ends up in Zalem and what she does from there. So 
Mm-hmm. I love that second story arc. I really recommend reading up to that part at least. So, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, uh, probably one of my favorite manga stories of all time. Super interesting. He gets really technical, Mr. Kishiro. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, and what? How was the? How was the reception of the film in Japan? And were there showings that were dubbed in Japanese, or was it just with Japanese subtitles over the English cast? Uh, to be honest, I don't remember if they had a subbed version. I mean, a dubbed version in Japanese, but I don't think it did as well as it did uh, in other parts of the world. And I think it's because uh, Gun is, which is Battle Angel in yeah other yeah. other parts of the world, it's just mm. not nearly as popular as things like Gundam or anything like that. And not only that, just I'm sure that the look of it and the fact that it's a Western production, it's probably not something that most people would be like, oh wow, I want to see this or I just the the series is kind of like a cult following it's not really like a a mainstream oh i got to watch this is as popular as like i said gundam or one piece it's something that you'd have to know by reading that manga like since it came out 20 years ago <laughs> so 20 or so more years ago dude so, like yeah. almost 30. 25 yeah. 30 years ago exactly now. right yeah. so <laughs> I mean, this generation, the younger generation, wouldn't even know what gun is. So that that could probably be it too. And most of your most vivacious like manga readers in Japan are still probably the younger age group. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, although there are quite a few older uh, generation of readers that love things like you know classic. Uh, if you remember that cartoon series Lum by rumiko yeah. takahashi oh yeah it's making a comeback and people are all over it they're like yeah about time she makes a comeback but when it comes to battle angel they're like what <laughs> so yeah unfortunately it's not as what popular. about um yeah but yeah and then uh well that's good to know um james yeah break down some james cameronisms like what 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 how much james cameron do you see in this movie like what are you really oh gosh you know <sighs> that's a tough one i mean obviously no one has done more to propagate female heroines in sci-fi the last 30 or 40 years than james cameron um so it's natural that like the story of Alita or Galley would really appeal to him, you know, because that's that's the kind of heroines that he's always had a thing for specifically. Um, to me, it's really interesting, like looking at the project that actually resulted by virtue of the efforts of Robert Rodriguez, because um I think if you look at all the filmmakers that are working today, there's probably nobody else that took on more of the George Lucas path in terms of being like 
an independent filmmaker who really embraced the shit out of digital technology the way Robert Rodriguez has. Because for a long time now, yeah, I mean, he's just had his own facility, not in Hollywood. You know, it's out in Texas, and he's just got his own unbelievable set of green screen sound stages that he can pretty much do whatever he wants and not with a great amount of expense either. So um, it's interesting that like, you know, he'd been doing all the, like he's done a lot of strange kids movies in the last couple of decades because they're profitable and it's, you know, a fun way for him to, utilize the technology that he's got at his fingertips um so it's interesting how all of that then got deployed in service of this much more sort of expansive story um i don't know i mean it's interesting like part of me still really wishes that he could see like well what does the like 2005 like 200 million dollar version of battle angel alita directed by james cameron looked like you know what i mean i'm sure that's still probably a hell of a movie but it would probably be very different and i would also think that given if there were that much money at stake there probably would have also had to have been a lot more compromises or things that would help generate like a guaranteed big opening night rather than sticking so close to the source material the way Robert Rodriguez did. So, I don't know. I think it's a really fascinating what if. Sure. Mm. Well, and you say that. The script, though, the shooting script was James Cameron's script that was 335 pages, and Robert Rodriguez didn't rewrite it. He took an edit pass, and he got it down to 140 pages or so. Mm Mm-hmm. And James Cameron on that same documentary that's on the the Blu-ray, like adapting the manga to the screen, he talks about how they went through that and they went through that and he kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. And then he said Robert Rodriguez was over at his place and they were just hanging out and Robert Rodriguez is like, hey, you working on anything? And James is like, hey, actually, yeah, uh, I have this Alita project. And Robert Rodriguez is like, oh, man, I love it. Let me see the script. And Robert Rodriguez took the script and he edited it down. And when he brought it back, James and the producer, John Landau, looked at it and they're like, holy crap, he somehow kept the core of what we wanted to do, but got it down to like a shooting length script instead of like, yeah, the original script was going to be like a four hour movie. Yeah. If your shooting script is four hours, the movie's probably going to be six hours. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I'm, I'm sure that content wise, it isn't so different, but just in terms of like production style, like... James Cameron is also the lunatic who decided to fill a nuclear, an abandoned nuclear core with water and beads at the top so he could simulate the deep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. whereas Rodriguez has always been like a very skilled, low budget filmmaker, you know, from his earliest works with El Mariachi and Desperado and whatnot. So, you know, obviously James. Like, he had to come in the same way, but as soon as he had access to bigger budgets, he was all about it. You know what I mean? So, it is it is telling that Robert was able to sort of find that through line, whereas James, I think, was pretty much accustomed to 
being able to do whatever the hell he wanted at that point in his career, you know what I mean? Like, just in terms of, yes, you will have this much to spend on it. So it's fascinating. And I don't know. I mean, I think the more I think about it, like this project might not have ever come into being if Robert hadn't come along, you know, I, I mean? yeah. actually a hundred percent agree. I don't think <laughs> well, had James Cameron not passed it off to Robert Rodriguez, we would probably have never seen this movie. Well, mm-hmm. it was because of it av- would have sat in development. Hell. Yeah. Yeah. Because of not only avatar, but I heard that there were a lot of stumbling blocks with the, uh, the thought of maybe CG technology isn't there to kind of, uh, truly express what we want to do with this movie. Is that what, they said in the so yeah part of that's explained in the documentary so when cameron first started pre-production in the early 2000s um 2005 he had built an entire art reel of stuff and they were testing stuff and they're like i don't know and then james cameron had also the other project avatar and they had just gotten some new computer uh mocap rendering software and when they were testing that, they were looking at scenes out of the Alita screenplay and scenes out of the Avatar screenplay. And it was easier to do Avatar because it was all CG yeah. and not human interaction. And so they used that tech on Avatar first. So he decided to greenlight Avatar so they could kind of streamline the tech. And then when he was done with it, he was like, okay, now we could probably do something like this. And that's when Robert Rodriguez kind of stepped in. Right. Um it's still crazy to me that it's been 13 years since that first Avatar movie's come out. Yeah. And, uh, I heard a rumor there's supposed to be a trailer for Avatar 2 with uh, Doctor Strange, but who knows if that's true. Oh. Right. It's not an April Fool's joke, right? <laughs> I hope not. No, that was before April Fool's that I heard that rumor. So. Oh, okay, good. I just... But still, it's crazy that we've been waiting this long for another James Cameron movie. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Avatar is like <laughs> that's like a whole other discussion to be had. I mean, yeah, yeah I, definitely. I don't know. Like, it's it, James has just always had like a ridiculous boner for tech. Period, and it's fascinating to me that he made what was essentially like really the only standalone like blockbuster that was 3d that actually utilizes the form in the way that he had probably always hoped the format would be but in a way that pretty much nobody else managed to you know what i mean and it's it's interesting that that technology has basically fallen by the wayside in a major way and yet Like what's going to happen with the second one is we we discussed that on our previous episode on Dread the 3D movie technology yeah. was supposed to take off and it has not yeah wow <sighs> but interesting times also I just want to point out that um I think one of the things that also drew me to this was the fact that uh, Doctor Ito looks a lot like the real Ghostbusters version of Egon. well in the manga he does kind of look like egon anyway yeah so that is hilarious so you're saying if they do like a new real ghostbusters like a live action movie episode of the real ghostbusters cartoon we can get christoph waltz hopefully egon i think so yeah i'd be down uh, good call good any other tidbits or uh things about uh battle angel alita that you guys want to bring up before we call it on Uh, this episode um well uh maybe a just one more thing like 
I want to know your opinion. It's kind of a small thing, but the Centurions in the movie, didn't you think mm-hmm. they were kind of like uh, Guardians and Breath of the Wild for Legend of Zelda? <laughs> kind of like big hulking machines that had uh, artillery and firepower they, to destroy everything, but yeah. They reminded me, I mean, I mean, they're based on the manga, but they also reminded me of Ed 209 from RoboCop. So when yeah. I, that's what I thought of when I first saw him in the movie. It was like, oh, these are just beefed up Ed 209s. Yeah. Mm. But I, I was that was a new addition to uh, the series because that, that was not in the OVA or the manga. So I just right. wanted to see what you thought of those if they had a certain place in the movie. Yeah, I, I also really appreciate one of the things they did, James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez, like all of the settings and the visuals, like the factory, the deck man, uh, the design of the bounty hunters all of that Zalam, the tubes, everything. I mean, if you look at the manga and look at the movie, they are really accurate to each other. There's not like, it's not like a, one of those adaptations you watch and you're like, that's nothing at all like the original source oh, material. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, they captured it really well and they did a lot to kind of toe the line to stay PG-13 because if you see the manga or even the OVA, oh yeah, super yeah. gory, super, it's super pretty gory. gnarly, yeah. Yeah, you'll see like intestines coming out. You know, there's cultural things that are different that they do that some Westerners are like, what the hell? So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, one final note for me, uh, I would say if you want to read the manga, just be prepared because reading that manga, it's so grim. (laughs) You'll you'll be kind (laughs) of depressed for days because it... (laughs) Way to sell it, Ed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just saying be, it's a great story, you but be prepared. On, man. Yeah. Because it's super grim. It's like, man, I don't want to leave my house for a couple days kind of experience, but it's so good to read, though. <laughs> just, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Man. So, uh, just as an outro before I get into my outro, uh, everybody, my two guests tonight, Game Agent ET, Six Button Samurai, Triple J, they are the hosts of a fantastic gaming podcast called Oh God It Hurts, where they cover an amalgam of gaming, but focusing mainly on retro gaming. Lots of cool stuff about Nintendo Switch, talk about the Mister. The latest episode, they cover the Taito Egret minicab that was just released, and just a lot of fun topics about gaming in general, and kind of like tearing apart gaming on a most primal level so i really appreciate you guys for coming on the show you guys have been friends for a long time and uh i'm glad you could make it for battle angel this is one of this has been a really fun time it was a blast man thank you so much yeah man it's always great to talk with you again and you know i know we both love this podcast of yours and uh it's always good to reconnect and uh shoot the shit about something excellent all right, Most definitely. Thank you. All right, everybody, you've been listening to the Retro Futures Culture, a production of Ruminations Radio Network. Please subscribe, rate, and renew our show. And we would love to connect with you on social media on Twitter via at Futurist Retro. Visit ruminationsradionetwork.com for additional great shows such as Ruminations of Red Rum, Oh God, It Hurts, Cinephile Hissy Fit. Brevity the original box. ruminations from the Red Room, Brevity Box, Tony's Tall Tales. We got it all. Come support the Ruminations Red Room at 
patreon.com slash ruminations radio. And for all your burning questions and passionate feedback, drop us a line at ruminationsradio at gmail.com. Peace out, everybody. Later on. Late. Oh, God, it hurts. Oh, God, it hurts. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank